You're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 47 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-host, Peter Barracchini. And that voice you're hearing in our intro now is the voice of Mike Ross from Scotiabank Arena. Thank you, Mike Ross, for doing that for us. As always, we're here to talk a lot of hockey, um, you know, a lot of Blackhawks news uh, going on right now, Peter, a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of off-season talk, of course, the Tampa Bay Lightning, which we guaranteed in the last episode we'd be talking about this week. <laughs> but first, how are you doing today? Not a sweep like you mentioned, but hey, a victory is still a victory no matter what. Um, I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. I'm really excited for this week because it is my favorite week of the year. And it's saying a lot because I love the World Junior Championships, that tournament, the couple weeks there, all the hockey tournaments. But this one I love so much. It is Shark Week. So happy Shark Week to everyone out there who enjoys sharks because, man... I have a bucket list, and one of them is to go into a steel cage in, like, whether it's in Hawaii, um, the Caribbean, wherever there's, like, a shark tour kind of thing, and just go in there and just watch the shark swim. That is my end goal, and I'm going to stick by that because, hey, why not talk about it? It's Shark Week. Okay, I'm going to start off by saying, wow. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, crazy. I, I know, right? Fucking crazy, man. Um, <laughs> look, I, I have a bucket list. I, I consider myself a guy who is willing to do a lot of very, um, <laughs> let's say adventurous things. Yeah. That is not on my list, but I commend you. <laughs> I commend you for putting that on your list. Um, but what's uh, it, it, we're talking Shark Week here? What what's your favorite shark movie? Shark related movie? Oh man, I hate to say this because it's so awful, and <laughs> I I just don't know why. My, one of my buddies got me into it, and I got him a shirt one time for his birthday. Sharknado. I, you I, know what? I knew as soon as you started that, I knew you were going there. <laughs> I mean, I could have said Jaws, right? Because that's what classic, it's classic. absolutely. But at classic. the same time, like all the sci-fi Sharknado movies, like three-headed shark attack, like all that stuff is just so stupid and dumb, but hilarious at the same time. I just watch it for the comedy effect. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, as you, uh, as you mentioned, it is shark week. I have some great personal news as well. I recently, I'm a huge coffee guy. Okay. Um, big in, big into coffee. Uh, when I was in university, I think I was having, you know, eight coffees a day. You turn every corner at a university and you're seeing a Tim Hortons here in Canada. So no Red Bull. Uh, you. No Red Bull. I'm I'm straight coffee, but uh, yeah, I got a cold brew machine. I'm really digging the cold brews lately. Aww. So I got a cold brew machine for the first time in as long as I can remember. Um, I bought the beans, I grinded the beans, and I had cold brew brewing for 24 hours and got to have one this afternoon. 
and holy shit is that stuff great i i just i mean if i if i can re- recommend anything get your own cold brew machine folks because the the stuff that comes out of that is just unbelievable pre-pandemic every single time i walked into work i would always go to starbucks and get a cold brew because it is delicious and i read somewhere that drinking the cold brew is actually better for you don't know how i think there's a bill Nye the science guy episode talking about cold brew if you haven't checked it out i suggest you watch it because it's actually really entertaining but yeah cold brew i think it's the way to go i like it better than when it's hot so i mean great on you congrats on the purchase because it is definitely worth it it is a tasty beverage yeah, delicious and nutritious, as you mentioned. Uh, obviously, no free ads for Starbucks, but uh, yeah, <laughs> um, no, it is one of one of the best buys I've made in a little while, especially through this pandemic. But mm. um, with that said, what do you say we get into a little bit of hockey talk here? I, I I think we should. You know, we are a hockey podcast, so we are a hockey podcast, and it would not be the same if we. You know, didn't start off with congratulating the Tampa Bay Lightning on winning back-to-back Stanley Cups. And the legend of Pat Maroon continues as he went for the three-peat. And no, it wasn't in the four-game sweep that we mentioned. And no, I did not get my cheesecake for, you know, them winning in anything but five. (laughs) They just had to win in five. And even the Tampa Bay uh, mayor got her wish with yes. Tampa losing game four just to come back home and win it at home. I think there was some conspiracy there. <laughs> the weather changed, you know, everybody rolled into Tampa and all of a sudden there's a lightning storm. And of course the lightning win their second cup in as many years. In fact, I believe it was our own Mark Shag over the hockey writers who posted this stat, but I, I think it was their second Stanley Cup in 286 days, which has to be an NHL record. But yeah, what a what a series for them. Um, obviously, you know Vasilevsky with the with the Conn Smythe Trophy, well deserving. Five closeout games, all ending in shutouts. What 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 a what a playoff for this guy! Just unbelievable what he was able to do, and and that doesn't take anything away from the Montreal Canadiens or Carey Price for that matter. None at all. And again, like we can sit here and talk about like complain about how the Montreal Canadiens don't have a deep lineup like the Tampa Bay Lightning or the Vegas Golden Knights or the Toronto Maple Leafs. They worked hard. They got to where they're at. They deserve to be there, despite you know being. A in a regular 16 or out of 16 teams being the lowest seeded team and getting there. We've seen it happen before. But yeah, you mentioned it all with everything that happened. I mean, I don't know so much about a conspiracy with uh, the mayor saying that we wanted to win here, but man, that was a good call and good prediction right there. But I mean, 190, uh, 190 goals against average, 937 save percentage in the playoffs. I mean, that is just crazy. You mentioned the stat, five shutouts and closing games. Mark's tweet or comment about the, like, they essentially won two cups in one calendar year. Granted, with the circumstances and the pandemic and everything, crazy stuff. But, I mean, I know I said Colorado was my pick based on early sweep and the two games against the Vegas Golden Knights. But with them out... Tampa was going to be my next pick regardless. 
had to had to pick another team right there because the Leafs were gone and all that. But yeah, they're just too they were just too good. I mean, they had the forward depth. I mean, Nikita Kucherov went off. Braden Point went on that goal scoring streak. Um, I believe it was at eleven games. And the scoring that they had got from the Gord, Coleman, and Goudreau line, especially in the final round, they were like the top line for them in that series. And yeah, Vasilevsky was a brick wall. Montreal just couldn't find an answer behind him. And huge congrats to David Savard on getting that elusive cup and Ross Colton, who a rookie this year comes in. Finds his way to get make an impact with some of the injuries, especially to Alex Kalorn right now, getting on that line with Stamkos and Sorelli and getting the game-winning goal in Game 7. That was just absolutely insane. And you mentioned Vasilevsky as the MVP. Yeah, he, he full-heartedly deserved it. I had Kucherov, but based on what happened with Vasilevsky throughout this whole entire playoffs, he was dialed in every game and he showed it. Yeah, and I, you know, I tweeted out uh, following the game. Obviously, you know, you feel for guys like Carey Price and Shea Weber. I mean, yeah. even though they donned that Montreal jersey, uh, I would love to see both those guys at some point raise the cup. Um, hopefully, it's when they uh, decide at the end of their careers to switch teams and and not wear that bleu blanc et rouge. Um, <laughs> but that said, Tampa. I mean, consider this: the top five scores in the playoffs were all Tampa Bay Lightning. Kucherov, 32 points in 23 games. Braden Point, 23 and 23. Then you had Stamkos and Hedman with 18 points in 23 games. You have to feel great for, for Stamkos, who, um, you know, obviously after last season, missing out on the on the cup run, was able to get into the lineup and play all 23 games for the Lightning this year. And then Alex Kalorn, 17 points in 19 games, obviously missed out on the last little bit. Um, and the injury that he suffered, just unbelievable. And still he had, he had a metal rod put into his leg and still wanted to come back out and play just, just unbelievable what he's, you know, what these guys are willing to do at times to, to really, you know, put their bodies on the line and, and get out there and play, but wasn't able to still 17 points in 19 games was the fifth highest scorer in the playoffs. Um, I mean, that right there just goes to tell you just what this team was made of. And, and forget the arguments about the $18 million over the cap. We've been over this before. But mm-hmm. it, the, right now, there's no rule in place stopping these teams from doing it. If your team out there you know, had the opportunity to do the same thing to win a Stanley Cup, I guarantee you they would. So yeah. uh, we'll throw that argument right out the window. <laughs> the fact is Tampa Bay did what they did to win a cup. David Savard got one. Um, you, met, you mentioned Colton got one. Um, the, the depth that they played with was just unbelievable. And, and, you know, their back end with Hedman, McDonough, um, you know, you name it. Like the, these guys were just unbelievable players all, all series long. Um, and give credit where credit's due. Nick Suzuki, sixth overall in scoring, 16 yeah. points in 22 games. He did his job 21 years old. This kid's going to be unbelievable for Montreal. Um, but Hey, another argument, let's throw out the window. The North division made it to the Stanley cup final, throw that yeah. one right out the window as well. Yeah. Uh, North division was, uh, you know, weak, weakest division out of all of them. Uh, considering that Montreal got rid of two of the top teams 
or two out of the top three teams in the North Division says a lot. So there is no easy path. I mean, granted, for the Maple Leafs, this probably was the easiest path for them, given that they don't have to face Boston or Tampa Bay to get to the final. For them, it was easy. But for Montreal, they had a mountain to climb, and they overcame it. They defied the odds. And, yeah, we're a Maple Leaf podcast, but I'm going to flat out say it. They Again, they deserve to be there. Like you mentioned, you mentioned Suzuki, the price, uh, the stellar play of Carey Price, Cole Caulfield being a dynamic offensive uh, powerhouse for them. I mean, those two right there, that's their that's their future going forward. And um, yeah, it, it's 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 I don't know how to put this. I, I don't know where I'm going, but it's just it's still hard to wrap your head around it, given the fact that people are going to say, yeah, they shouldn't be there, but they were. They they managed to prove it. It's it's really impressive how they were able to get to that point. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and cr- credit where it's due. Um, you know, Tampa did what they did, but let, let's just get this conversation out of the way now. Um, if Toronto was able to make it past Montreal in that first round, is it, are we talking about a Toronto Maple Leaf Stanley Cup right now? No, no, I, I. I we we even discussed this on the Maple Leafs Lounge. If Toronto did beat Montreal, they beat Winnipeg, and I think they probably had a good chance of beating the Vegas Golden Knights. If they managed to play Tampa Bay, I do not think that Toronto would win the Stanley Cup. Tampa Bay is deeper than the Maple Leafs on all four lines. It, Toronto's bottom six would have no match against Tampa Bay's. Defense, get, I'm giving the edge to Tampa Bay, despite Toronto having making the improvements over there and in net. Um, granted, Jack Campbell was amazing. Andre Vasilevsky is Andre Vasilevsky. I would be surprised if they managed to win one, let alone maybe two games. But they're not. I, I do not see Toronto winning the Stanley Cup, especially if it was against Tampa Bay. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I, I think. You know, we talked a lot about how this was probably their easiest path to the final. Mm-hmm. Um, I still don't think it was their year. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, simply put, they just didn't have the depth. They didn't have the overall depth to, to get to where they need to be. And and let's be honest, goaltending, I, I mean, say what you will about Jack Campbell's year. He did he did phenomenal. But you're, you're going up against a guy who could easily be probably a three-time Vesna Trophy winner. In, in Vasilevsky, and that's, mm-hmm. you, you know, you're talking about a different story in that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I felt like we need to get that conversation out of the way just for our Leaf fans tuning in. Yeah. <laughs> it, it just, it, you can make the argument, I don't think you're headed down the right path if you do. Um, yeah. But it is what it is. Um, Tampa Bay will have their names engraved on the cup once again, and the Leafs will have nine more years to get onto that cup before they are officially taken off the Stanley Cup, uh, you know, up until they win their next one. So, yeah, let's go nine years, nine years. That's all we have. They have to make it at that point, I I would hope. But at the same time, you know what? I I may, I watch Rick and Morty a lot, and they have the multiple like timelines, dimensions, and everything like that. If this was Rick and Morty, there is going to be a timeline where the Toronto Maple Leafs actually won Stanley Cups and had a dynasty, kind of like the Tampa Bay Lightning. I'm almost guaranteed about that. 
Yeah, and they've never ceased to disappoint us, uh, the Maple Leafs. <laughs> so take that into consideration as well. But one more thing I wanted to talk about about regarding the final was, uh, I mean, I think this was the talk of Twitter for probably two or three days. But Nikita Kucherov, who, mm-hmm. like I mentioned, put up 32 points in 23 games, um, obviously didn't play the regular season, but was an absolute stud for the, the Lightning down the stretch. His post-game press conference and the comments he made in the press conference, one, he talked about Montreal fans and how, you know, they celebrated after they won their semifinal match um, to go in, into the Stanley Cup final, um, said that basically it was that was their final. Their final was to get out of that, that round. Um, they partied like it, it was their final, and he said he just, I don't understand or are you kidding? Are you kidding? Um, and then two, the the other thing you mentioned was um, you mentioned how Vasilevsky should have been a Vesna winner uh, this season, and specifically said that the league instead gave it to that guy in Vegas, that Vegas goaltender. Didn't refer to Mark Andre Fleury by name. Um, didn't even really give flurry credit and he's a guy that you know you and i have mentioned multiple times Mm -hmm. is going to be a first ballot hall of famer so my question to you is and i know where i know where i sit on this but my question to you is for you what what do you take away from a press conference like that uh especially with how today's game has evolved on the media side of things yeah um Honestly, obviously you should give respect or where where it's deserved because Andre Vasilevsky and Mark Andre Fleury were both battling it out. But honestly, Vasilevsky had the advantage in wins with 31, Fleury 26, um, goals against average. Vasilevsky had 221, Fleury had the advantage over there. But if you're looking also at save percentage um Vasilevsky 925 Flurry 928 so two out of the three categories Flurry had the advantage in over Vasilevsky um honestly I I I think I I kind of think he was a few beers in to like remember the names or whatever and I think maybe he was just not in the right frame of mind so you don't think he was throwing shade at Flurry you just think you know (sighs) six or seven Bud Lights in and and now he's you know yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a bit of both. I, I maybe there was some shade there. Um, see, that's tough. I, I'm not. I'm again. I'm not. I that that one. I don't know. But there should still be some respect for all the winners of the awards, no matter what. You may not like it, but at the same time, hey, whatever. Let, let's move on. I don't think it. I don't think it's a big deal because we've seen people trash talk about awards in the NBA, MLB. I think this person should have deserved to win or whatever. So it, it, some people may see it as an issue. Some may not. I think I'm I'm in the middle on the argument where, yeah, respect them. But at the same time, hey, yeah, we've seen this multiple times where people said that this person should have won no matter what. Um, yeah, that's that's where I stand with that. Um, I don't I, again, I think it's being blown up just a little bit because we're so known to being uh, 
people want hockey to be about respect and everything like that sportsmanship. Yeah. You can still have that, but at the same time, you can still have that competitive edge to be like, no, nah, I think this person should have won. I mean, it's it, again, seen it too many times in all the other sports. And that's why people are more drawn to that because of that competitive edge and, you know, sort of like the drama in between. I think we need to see that a bit more in hockey. Yeah. I mean, personally for me, I didn't. I. I don't think it mattered at all. I. I loved it. I personally loved. It. I think you're talking about a player who, as you mentioned, you know, couple couple bubblies in. Um, you know, you're you're in a celebratory mood, and your goalie basically just stole the show for you in in four a limit or four clinching games over the over the last four series mm-hmm. this season alone. So, for me, I. I loved it. I thought it was refreshing. I thought. Um, you know, it was true to who he was. He was asked the question and he delivered an answer that for so long, hockey fans have been begging players to, to, you know, kind of let go of the cliches and and voice, you know, some, some sort of personality, Um, mix it up a bit, mix it up a little bit. And, and, you know, we see that a little bit more in basketball than we, than, than in most sports. Uh, we've seen a little bit in football over the years. We we haven't really seen it in baseball. We're starting to get a little bit of it in, in hockey. And, and it's mm-hmm. coming from star players like Kuchera. And that, to me, what he did in that postgame presser was exactly what, you know, the hockey world needs. We need to have people that are, are players that are a little bit more refreshing um, on all, in all aspects of the game, not just players, but, um, you know, it, it's something that needs to happen. And, and for me, I loved it. I, I, I don't mind that he, he, if, whether he's throwing shade or just simply forgot Flurry's name, I don't mind that. I, I loved yeah. it. I loved it. And, and I, I'm sure Flurry doesn't take, take it personally either. Look, he's sitting at home with a Vesna trophy. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, it is what it is, and 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 Kucherov's just you know pumping the tires of his goaltender, who very well could have won the Vesna as well. And this is how you create more rivalries, not just with teams, but with players and vendettas and stuff like that. You want to have that competition where if Tampa Bay Tampa Bay plays Vegas, who's going to be the better goalie from in this series from here on out? So who's going to have the bragging rights? That, to me, is going to be more entertaining. Instead of just having, like, oh, this team, this team. It should be about – it's going to be about this player versus this player. It's going to be the headline every single time. Just like every single time right now, it's Matthews versus McDavid. It's going to be Price versus Vasilevsky or Vasilevsky versus Flurry or Flurry versus Price. Like, those three goalies are, like, at the top of their game right now. Those are the kind of stories that you want to see going out from here on out. And – get that narrative of like, you know, who's going to be the best. Cause let's face it. They're all eyeing to be the top goalie in this league at this moment. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, like I said, I, I thought it was great for the game. Um, uh, we kind of mentioned it when we were talking before recording, it got him a Bud Light uh, deal out of it. Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that alone is fantastic for him, but um, yeah, I, I, it's refreshing. We need to see more of it. We need to see more players willing to speak their minds and, 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 and within reason, um, you know, I've always been one for like, you know, you're a player that you sign a contract, you play out the contract, which will lead us into our next discussion point here. But, um, 
yeah, I, I, I thought it was refreshing. I thought it was great. I, I want to see more of it. Um, but uh, I don't want to see – what I don't want to see is I don't want to see players demanding trades. Yeah. And, and I say that because our next talking point here is Vladimir Tarasenko requesting a trade out of St. Louis. And, and I say demanding trades – the way it was kind of worded is that Tarasenko has requested a trade. He's asked. He he's looking for you know whether it be a new beginning, a, a fresh start, or whatever it is. Um, but it puts for me for me it puts such it puts the team in such a tough position. One, you can basically hold on to this player, um, throw him out on the ice, expect him to play at a hundred percent and possibly not get that from him. And when you're talking about a star player like Tarasenko, you need him at 100%. Or you're likely selling him off for much lesser value than what you would get on a regular basis. Yeah. And I, based on what ha- transpired, um, this is very similar to Jack Eichel's situation where he doesn't trust the club about um with how they dealt with his shoulder injuries i mean he's dealt with three shoulder shoulder surgeries in the past and he seems to be having that issue so there's that mistrust between management and the t and the player right now where you know this is the third time now what's going on like like is are you going to help me out is this going to be an ongoing issue and i can understand his frustration they're just like eichel where they're not seeing something or it's there's an issue in between somehow and the fact is yeah this is going to be an interesting situation because we know what the asking price is for eichel it's like a first a top prospect a roster player and maybe a little bit more and Teams are going to probably play, pay up for that, but knowing how ser- how serious this, the neck injury that he has, it's it may ward some teams off. Based on his low production with Tarasenko right now, teams are going to sell low, and I don't blame him in that regard considering the fact that he's played only about 34 games over the last two seasons. Jack Eichel was out for this for most of the season, but he played the, se- the season before. Tarasenko has barely played over the last few seasons. And that, to me, is concerning based on the fact that, you know, he was one of their star players. He was a major impact on or a major impact player on that cup run um, when they won it a few years ago. And the fact that he had he was a point per game player in 2019-20, and then he only has 14 in 24 games this year. So it's it's. It's really interesting. I can understand his frustration because, again, it, it, it's like the Jack Eichel situation all over again. But let's face it. If he does get back to normal and the team that he gets traded to helps him recover, fixes the issue so that he can get back and play at that, you know, 30, 40 goal, 70 point pace, look out because he's going to be very, very dangerous if that does happen. You know what situation this reminds me of? Um, r- reminds me of uh, very much so is and, and being being a Toronto guy um, is the Kawhi Leonard situation and and you know him leaving San Antonio mm. and yeah. you know coming to Toronto you know trusting the medical staff that he's with and, and part of it might not be that 
St. Louis handled it the wrong way. It could be very much that Tarasenko simply doesn't have that trust in the medical staff, the same way Jack Eichel doesn't have the trust in the the organization that he's playing for. Fair enough, yeah. And and the trust is what goes a long way. Um, When you're talking about you know, you know, you want you want to make sure that things are handled right. It might not be specifically this situation. Yeah, you know what? Eichel's frustrated with the way that things are being handled in Buffalo. Tarasenko's frustrated with the way things are being are being handled in St. Louis. But it might be the fact that hey, if I get into the same position again in let's say a year or two, are we going to be going down the same road? And how is that going to affect me mentally? Mm-hmm. And that's where the frustration, that's where the lack of trust, that's where the, I want to say, annoyance with the with the organization actually plays a bigger role in these players, these star players requesting trades out of their their respective cities. And I'm again, I'm one for you've signed a contract, you play it out. Um, the requesting of the trades, I've never had a lot of respect for that kind of stuff. Um, I get that sometimes you're in a, in a rough situation and, and you need, you need a fresh start. Um, and I'm starting to garner more, more understanding to that. Um, but that's why I've always thought, you know, instead of signing these eight year deals, players need to start signing two, three year deals, mm-hmm. shorter time. Yeah. You don't have the stability, the likelihood that the team is going to resi- resign you as a star player is, is fairly high. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, this is, this is an interesting situation for the St. Louis blues. Mm-hmm. You have a, you have a player who was so vital to their, their cup run was so vital, um, over a couple of years prior to these injuries that now you are likely selling low on, on a guy like him and may not get the return that you're looking for. So I guess my question is, if you're the GM in um, in St. Louis, what do you what do you do? I don't know. I mean, you don't. If you do trade them, you're probably not going to get the return that you want. And knowing how much of a sniper that he could be, and how much he could put the puck in the net, you want to try and get full value. I mean, much like you would in any deal, just like the Jack Eichel thing. Um, yeah, you you basically nailed it on the head, and um, you you mentioned that the distrust was not, and again, not necessarily management, but with that medical staff because there was um, in 2020 apparently doctors from outside the organization performed a surgery to fix the ligament damage in his shoulder, but was unsuccessful during the first two surgeries as well. Um, so I think maybe right now that, again, you mentioned the mistrust there. Um, it, it, it could play a factor. And and again, if this does turn out to be a Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard situation, um, yeah, I, I, I totally see the similarities and comparables between the two situations where, you know, obviously with Toronto coming over here, they did load management with him. So that way he can't be ready for that deep playoff run. And ultimately they won the championship. Um, I don't. Are, are you going to do load management for someone like Tarasenko? I I don't think so. Because you could at least rest in basketball 
um, in hockey, I think you want to try and get your best players out there no matter what. But again, this is a really interesting situation and I really want to see how this will unfold. Yeah. I mean, it it is, it is different from basketball because, Mm -hmm. you know, you're talking about five guys that play most of the game, whereas in hockey, you're, you're constantly rotating through your 22 man roster. Um, so it does it does play a different bit like a little bit of a different role um but i mean you're right it it is a situation it's a unique situation i mean we're seeing the same thing kind of happen in in buffalo with with jack eichel and i mean the saga just continues to grow with with speculation mm-hmm. of where he's going to end up and and i'm sure this Tarasenko stuff is going to get to that point as well obviously to a little bit of a lower extent see, seeing as you know he and this is with a lot of respect to Tarasenko's game. He's not a Jack Eichel. Yeah. Um, but he is a, he is a, I would say a B level player in the league that certainly garners a lot of respect for, for his offensive talent. So, I mean, it's an interesting conversation to have and, and we can, we can sit here and speculate all we want. The fact is we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what, you know, the St. Louis Blues are going to do in this situation. And we don't know if he'll end up somewhere else prior to puck drop next, next season and how how they're going to manage the injuries. Because um, mm-hmm. obviously it's something that still is, you know, having some sort of effect on Tarasenko as well. So definitely something to work, to, to keep an eye on. But um yeah, I, I mean, it, it just, it's just, we're seeing more and more of it, I think. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, one more quick note before we get into our two final uh, NHL stories here. The, the Seattle Kraken hired, uh, I believe it's Paul McFarland. Um, yes. And, and good, good, like, good signing for them. Obviously, they're, they're putting together their coaching staff. Um, and it, it'll be interesting to see how, how things play out there for them. But uh, very excited to see how this expansion draft is going to go. Um, I want to know who's who's going where, who's what teams are going to give up. But uh, definitely a solid signing for the Kraken uh, to, to add to their coaching staff. And if he's going to man the power play, that's a really, really good signing considering how he managed it with the Maple Leafs uh, and how successful they were this time around or when he was with them about a year or so ago. So um, congrats to him. I know he's going to do a fantastic job there. And whoever's, I mean, if he's going to be running the power play, it's it's going to be a really good one. Yes, no, absolutely. Um, And uh, two tough topics to talk about uh, prior to getting to leave talk here. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously we want to send our regards to, to Matisse, uh, Kiv- uh family, friends, um, the whole Columbus Blue Jackets organization, all those that, uh, you know, he was important to. Um, the, uh, the, the, the Blue Jackets goaltending prospect passed away this past week at uh, 24 years old in a freak accident with uh where I believe he was shot in the chest with a, a uh, firework, um, and, and the the cause of death was blunt force trauma due to a firework mortar. I believe that's what the uh, the um, I, I believe that that was the cause of death. But 
I mean, just a sad moment. Um, we saw, I mean, there were so many, so many things said on Twitter, so many former teammates coming out. Nick Foligno had something to say about it. Obviously mm-hmm. David Savard playing in, in, in the, in the final, uh, Josh Anderson playing in the final. Um, they were, they were teammates of Kiv Lennox as well. So a uh, great article on the athletic by Aaron Portsline as well, who spoke with, uh, with the, the young man's mother, uh, and, and how he, he, you know, the way she talked about how he talked about his dream of, of playing in the NHL and that he was going to eventually do it. And, and he did get the opportunity to do it, which, you know, um, still such a young, young, young man, uh, way, gone way too early. And, and we said this last week. I feel like this is something that we talk about almost weekly. And mm-hmm. For th- for this one, it just stings as well because he was he was right there. He was right there. He was he was living his dream. He was about to you know, not far from cracking the the Blue Jackets lineup and, and you know to for it to happen the way that it did, um, you know when it did, where it did, away from his family, um, it just it, it's such a sad sad moment and. Again, to to his family, his friends, his 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 teammates, uh, we we here at the podcast send our our regards and and our thoughts and um, positive vibes and hoping that uh, you can find some way through this this dark dark path at this point in time and um, you know sticks out to to uh, Kivy. Yeah, you summed it up very well. Um, absolute shock and disbelief because i remember just waking up and that was the first thing that i read and it was it was really upsetting because you know it was it happened at during the fourth of july you know relaxing having a good time and then all of a sudden that happens and it's it's absolutely heartbreaking like it's I get, there is no other way to describe it. it. It's it's absolutely sad, and it, it's he and like you said, he was right there knocking on the door for the NHL, and I, I I'm very certain that he was bound to have a very great career. And again, uh, you again he, uh, to repeat what you said, gone way too soon. It's it's tragic because he's just so young, and he has this opportunity to live out his dream and it, it's just gone yeah and and you know you 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 said the perfect word it's heartbreaking because i i hate i hate do eulogizing you know people on the yeah. show mm-hmm. um one because i don't i don't feel like i give them enough credit i you know we we don't know them as people we 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 see what's said on twitter we see what's said on social media about these about these players and these people that are involved in the hockey world and we don't really have the words nor the ability to really do it properly and it's so tough to put it into words every time that I feel like it's almost you know we talked about Kucherov's post-game comments and and how he stepped away from cliches and I feel like every time we talk about stuff like this it's it's exactly what we don't want to hear it's cliches Mm -hmm. But um, you said it. He was he was due for a great career. I remember Mark Shag coming on the show and talking about the goaltending prospects in Columbus, and his name was mentioned as as a guy who had so much um, so much potential. His ceiling was yeah. so high, and 
yeah, it's just, it's such a sad, sad moment. And again, uh, we send our best to the family and, and hope that, uh, you know, he's remembered for all the right reasons. Absolutely. Lastly, uh, again, another tough subject to talk about, um, but I, I, I'd be remiss if we did not bring this up, especially after Ron McLean got absolutely torched for not asking the question for, um, when, when speaking with uh, Gary Bettman yeah. um, the other night. But the, the Chicago Blackhawks situation, and this is something we brought up a couple episodes ago, and if you're not following along on the coverage, you have to. You have to. Check out Rick Westhead. Check out Scott Powers, Mark Lazarus, uh, Ben Pope, Tony Arnold, Katie Strang. The coverage of this this abuse story is just it's being magnified right now. The the coverage is out there. There, if you yeah. don't know what's going on, read about it because the Blackhawks are it, it's a cover up. Hundred percent, it, it's a cover up. The the NHL is is doing their own investigation uh, in, in connection with the, the Blackhawks. Um, but I, I, Stan Bowman is, is supposed to be a part of team USA, um, for the Olympics. Um, and there's a lot of, a lot of frustration in that sense because there, there are organizations that would like him removed, um, as, as part of that team. Um, because there's belief that he knew about Aldridge and, and what was going on while he was a part of the Blackhawks. To further that point, Aldridge was eventually eventually moved on to to other jobs at other at whether it was schools or minor hockey or, or what have you, um, and continued the sexual abuse of players in these other positions that he was in as well, and. It, it all, for me, ah, I just have such a hard time reading it. It comes back to the fact that it was covered up in the first place. And not only now do you have the original victims that are struggling to understand why this happened to them and how somebody can do something so so heinous, but now you've got more victims. And all of a sudden, we look back at, all the discussion about hockey culture and it's brought right back into the discussion. It's brought right back into the argument. Is this part of hockey culture? Is this, is this the, the, not, not the abuse itself, but the cover up of this abuse. Is that part of what has become known as hockey culture? Yeah. It seems like every single time, we try to make strides. We just go back like another 10, 15, 20 steps. And this is one that's setting everything back. Instead of like trying to like find a solution to the problems that are have that we're having right now, it's just being piled on top of one another and still seems like nothing's getting done. And you talked about this situation is just very disgusting. Like I, it makes me sick to my stomach to think that how this could be covered up and what's unfolded and what's transpired and how nothing seems to be doing, nothing seems to be getting done about it. It's absolutely shocking. And we talked about earlier how there was the investigation involving Jake for and his situation um, with his sexual assaults. 
and or sexual misconduct sorry and you know it's something should be in place for like teams and adam uh adam kirsenblatt uh one of our writers at the hockey writers wrote a really great piece on how the nhl needs to create a sexual assault policy and one that kind of mirrors that of the mlb templates like having an investigation going to leave um training and outreach for all the teams and having something in place and it seems like none of the teams have something right what's going to happen if another team if another situation like this comes to light and it, it's be, it was being swept under the rug there needs to be something in place something needs to be done about this because it's getting really sickening and it's it, i yeah, there are probably more words to describe it. None are coming to mind, but it, it just takes your breath away how something like this could be happening and how something an organization that's, you know, has a, has a lot of fans and a strong fan base that people have to deal with this now. The victims, the fans, coaches, everyone in the organization, it has a trickle-down effect. And we're seeing that right now with calls of Sam Bowman not going to the olympics um fans are saying i'm not going to support this team anymore because of what happened and yeah you mentioned you mentioned the victims too like like what's going like how can i can't fathom being in their position right now because this is difficult to see what's going on and for more of this information to come to light like it's a lot to process yeah, and, and worth noting, I, I'm just kind of scrolling through Rick Westhead's uh, Twitter page here. Um, his coverage is just unbelievable. Uh, yes. Really great work from Rick. Um, but he did he posted something from a former Blackhawks player, Jake Dowell, and, and his comments on Brad Aldridge. And it, he, he said this, It's foggy to me. I remember after Brad was let go after 2010, we started to hear rumblings. But I didn't know how much truth there was to it. For younger players trying to make it to in, in the NHL, Aldridge was a good resource. He'd tell us what the game plan was and who was doing well. He'd watch the video and get intel for us about where we stand with the coaches. That's how I remember him. For me, it was talking about where I stand and if I'll ever get a sniff of the NHL. He was a coach. I was a player. And that's... That's what players are supposed to remember these guys as. But the fact is, is that, I mean, that that quote itself is so much more telling than what it actually says, because it, it, it shows you just how how much cover up there was within the organization for players mm -hmm. to just suddenly hear about it after he's let go. Um, and then and then, you know, so many players didn't know anything about what was going on. Um, and, and you see this, if you ever, ever watch any sort of documentary about, you know, um, sexual abusers, you'll, you know, they, they, they groom the people that they, they go after. And yeah. obviously he said it, he was, he was the guy for these young players. He was the one who helped them get to the NHL or let them know what they were doing right, what they were doing wrong, um, you know, where they stood within the organizational depth. Um, and 
for somebody to take advantage of of the position that they're in like that it's it's far more frightening to know that that went on without any sort of chatter surrounding it yeah aside from the fact that yeah we let him go we let him go it breaks the trust it breaks the trust that the players are supposed to have with the organization because it just seems like they don't have that best interest right now they're not looking out for them absolutely absolutely i i i couldn't agree more and and not only that but i go back to the fact that Yes, they let him go in 2010, got him outside of the organization, but he went on to continue it at other places. Mm-hmm. And if, if it had been handled right in the first place, this wouldn't even be a conversation. Yeah. This and wouldn't Matt, even be a conversation. And did they go – I I, I, can't, I can't remember, but did they go to the police or was that supposed – or was that covered or they didn't elect to do that? I believe right now the the details are a little foggy. Um, I know uh, Rick West had tweeted um, a complaint by a my uh, filed by a 27 year old to the Miami police back in 2018. Um, So that was obviously when he was working in Miami. Mm -hmm. Um, But I when it comes to the Chicago Blackhawks, I'm not sure. I do not believe that it was brought to the attention of the police at the time. And that's where that trust and that, again, yeah, that is where that trust is supposed to be broken. Because if that is the case and, you know, someone's coming to you saying that we need to investigate this and you don't investigate it and go to the police, you're part of the problem. You're, you're, you're what's wrong with what's going on right now. And again, it's... Again, like, why wouldn't you want to get to the bottom of this? Like, why would you want to cover this up so that way it can magnify later on and then you're going to be at the center point of everything that's happening? Like, it's what you would want to protect those around you. I, I, I don't understand this. And, and what what's crazy about this is this is, again, from Rick, Rick Westhead. Um, in a motion filed today, that was July 9th, uh, to dim- dismiss the lawsuit of a former high school player abused by Aldrich. Blackhawks argue victim provides no evidence the NHL team provided Aldrich a positive reference to his high school, specifically only to future employers in general. So uh, basically, the Blackhawks are continuing to try to distance themselves from what happened and what transpired after he left the organization. Um, And and he goes on to say Blackhawks latest court motion also alleges the NHL team did not have a legal obligation to report the alleged sexual assault of its players to the authorities because the player was not a minor, not disabled and not, and was not over 60 years old living in a care facility. Again, basically just saying they had no obligation to, report this at all so no they did not report it to authorities because it this didn't player meet that was, criteria it didn't meet that criteria the player could basically had a voice of of their own and they felt that they were not responsible to speak in 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 place of this player so again um I, I, it's hard to talk about especially when we don't have all the facts um yeah. but 
I, I needed to bring it up because it is a conversation that needs to be had, especially with the, the constant attack on hockey culture. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that this, this is still an ongoing issue. Um, it, it really is sickening and, and it's sad and it, it really changes the perspective of a lot of players and it changes the, 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 the future for a lot of players as well. So um Again, if you're not following him, follow Rick Westhead, follow Katie Strang. Um, yes. You know, follow Scott Powers, follow Ben Pope, follow follow Tony Arnold, follow Mark Lazarus. They're, they're, they're great follows. They're doing fantastic work, and they're asking the tough questions. And that's the difference right now is that they are willing to ask those tough questions. Great coverage all around by them. Absolutely. And uh, I'm going to shout out Adam again, read his uh, article, NHL needs to create a sexual assault policy posted on July 9th. Um, give, again, give that a read. Fantastic job by him. Yeah, no. And uh, with with that, I do want to jump back to our fun hockey talk. Um, the Maple Leafs, the Maple Leafs, what you guys are here to listen to. Um <laughs> Some 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 big rumors coming out of Toronto recently. Um, obviously, Travis Dermott signed this week for two years, extended at two years, 1.5 million AAV over those two years. What what does this mean for a guy like Justin Hall? What does it mean for a guy like Timothy Lilligren? What does it mean for a guy like Rasmus Sandin to know that Travis D- Dermott, a guy who was sat in the first round of the playoffs, is back at two years um, extended with the Leafs? Whew, that is a question that popped into my head, and I'm still trying to figure out a really good answer since he signed. Because on the surface, two years, $1.5 million per season, it is a good deal. I mean, good contract. Was, Great contract. Absolutely. Good contract. Um, in comparison to his actual production and what he accomplished last year, Maybe may not warrant it, but you know what? It's it's still a good deal. Um, as for what this means for um, Sandine, Lilligren, Hall, I th- I don't know for certain, but I just have this feeling that it I I just don't see Travis Dermott staying. Um. I'm I'm pretty sure we know what the implications are for going to be for the expansion draft. I think it's going to come down to Alex Kerfoot, um, Hall, or uh, Dermott as being the ones that could be gone from this team. But there was something interesting from uh, his conference when he talked, and Kristen Shilton tweeted this out on whether he got any assurance from the Leafs regarding the expansion draft. Travis said, it's a possibility I'll be exposed. Nothing was assured that I wasn't going anywhere, that's for sure. So already we have some idea that there's no guarantee that he will stay no matter what. That to me is interesting because even if he doesn't get selected in the draft, I think the Maple Leafs still move on from him. And which brings me to the possibility that because of this contract that they signed before ahead of time, it can be traded easily. It's less than two million. It's a very team friendly contract, and he could probably bring in a piece that will help the Maple Leafs forward depth in that bottom six and get a really good return. 
I just don't see him fitting into the lineup. If Morgan Riley stays, if Jake Muzzin stays, well, Jake Muzzin is going to stay. If Rasmus Sandin is going to get more ice time, which I think he deserves, and I think this season basically makes Travis Dermott expendable, he has to be the odd man out. And even if the Maple Leafs do move on from Riley and sign, um, you know, Dougie Hamilton, and you move TJ Brody onto that to the left side, and you have Jake Muzzin still on the second pairing, you bring up Timothy Lilligren, Sandine still waiting in the wing on that third line. Maybe he moves up and plays with Brody, and Hamilton plays with Muzzin. I don't know. But it, it just seems a little iffy to me because even our own um, our colleague, Kevin Armstrong, wrote about Jamie Alexiak possibly being a fifth for Toronto. He's a left-handed shot. If they do sign him, okay, great. I think he would be a massive improvement over Dermott. But is he capable of playing on the right side? Because, you know, we still got Rasta Sandin waiting in the wings. Do they also go for a more... A defensive-minded kind of player in free agency where they could probably get someone cheaper. Um, a few guys come to mind are Ryan, Murley, Ryan Murray and Alex, Alex Goligoski. Maybe Nicholas Tromerson, but his injuries are a bit concerning to me. But it just seems like even though that he, he signed, even though that he may not be selected in the draft, I still think he's going to get traded. Yeah, no, I think I, I think you're pretty spot on there. I, I think that the thing about this contract is is that it's a movable contract. One point yeah. five million, it's not especially in a stale cap, which we've talked about how, you know, we're looking at that probably for the next five years. Um, you know, one point five million is not something that teams are gonna shy away from taking on, especially for a player, you know, like Travis Dermott. Um, that said, I mean, it does raise a lot of questions and, and you talk about the, the implications that it has for the expansion draft, you know, could Justin Hall be the guy that's exposed? Could, could, a, you know, a guy like Travis Dermott be another position that they can move to open up more space for possibly getting a guy like Dougie Hamilton or like a Seth Jones, uh, which mm-hmm. has been rumored as well, is is maybe Dermot part one of those pieces that goes back the other way to Columbus. Um, it's it you know it, it's it's all it's all a lot of questions right now. It's all speculation, but I don't I love the signing and the fact that it is something that you can still hold on to if need be. Yeah, um, and it, it's going to force Travis Dermot to really put in the work to, to earn his spot if he wants to, in fact, stay with the Maple Leafs. Now, that being said, Kyle Dubas could have his mind made up already and, and Dermot could be halfway out the door. That we don't know. But um, like I said, a great contract in the sense that it is movable, but it's also something that the Leafs can hang on to if need be, mm-hmm. um, you know, considering what their options are. And That's even it. if they move on from Morgan Riley, I just just one more quick thought. Even if yeah. they move on from Morgan Riley, if you have Sandine and TJ Brody as your top pairing, if you have Muzzin and Hamilton, 
if you have even if you have Jamie Alexiak on that third pairing with Timothy Lilligren, learn learn alongside with another pro, even if you bring back Zach Bogosian, so that way you can interchange him with uh, Lilligren. That to me is still a pretty really good defensive unit right there. You've got a good balance of puck movement, smart stay at home presence, defensively physical physicality. You've got a promising unit right there. I just, I again, I just don't see how Travis Dermott kind of fits into that role, and especially after that giveaway in Game Six, yeah, he's definitely going to have to, like you mentioned, put in the work to try and make him in his presence known that he still wants to be here. Yeah, no, absolutely, and it, it forces him. It, it, it creates competition within the lineup, and that's mm-hmm. exactly what you want to have. The best way to, to to make a team better is to create that competition within the lineup, um, and it can be friendly competition. But it's it's mm-hmm. going to force guys to to play at their at their top level to make sure that they secure their spot within within the Leafs lineup. And I, I think that's exactly what they've done with Travis Dermott here, and and they kind of gave him a taste of that in the playoffs. And that's exactly what he needs to to recognize that hey, the pipeline is running with solid prospects here in Toronto. Yeah. It's going to come down to what I can provide the team that these guys can't. And at 1.5 million, again, a movable contract, if you don't fit that mold. Um, and he's very much an option to be, to be moved in, in the off season. So I, I think you're right. I think, I, I think he's a name that's definitely being tossed around right now. He was tossed. His name was tossed around near the deadline as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, not a bad signing at all. Um, and, and he could be, he could be one of those players that maybe, t- you know, the Leafs look to use in a Tyler Bertuzzi trade mm. with Detroit. Good call. Good call. Yeah. Um, honestly, I, I, he does fit the mold where he's a young guy, good contract, um, could have a chance to, you know, may again may may not have the fit here in Toronto, but certainly Detroit needs left-handed defensemen. And I know I wrote about um a few weeks ago where I made destinations for Morgan Riley, mainly because they are weak on the left-hand side. And I talked about the Red Wings and Bertuzzi being a really good starting point for a deal. And I knew that the Leafs were rumored for Garland because it, there was talks about that beforehand and even after. I did not know about this, which threw me off guard because the fact that Elliot Freeman said that, you know, the Maple Leafs were also in on Bertuzzi at the deadline. I I don't want to toot my own horn, but I am two for two with potential trade targets, and that has never happened to me right now. Yeah, hey, take, like I've told you before, take the uh, <laughs> take the praise when you can when you can get it, right? But oh, um, for sure, yeah, no, I I mean there there's so many names flying around right now. Uh, Taylor Hall, um, you know Connor Garland, somebody that we've talked about previously mm-hmm. on this show. You know we've talked about a, a guy like Goudreau, um, a guy like Coleman coming in. Um, obviously Tyler Bertuzzi, a, a guy that could potentially fit that mold that. You know, they'll need a replace with Hyman likely gone now. Um, there, there's just so many rumors right now flowing around the Maple Leafs uh, um, 
well, I guess Leafs Nation. Uh, yeah. And 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 Leafs Twitter is taking all of these and running with them, and I love it because they come up with some great great possibilities not only for like deals that are being made for trade baits like uh tyler bertuzzi but also potential lineups um once you once you see guys like maybe justin hall leave or travis dermott leave or mm-hmm. a possible possible alex kerfoot to the seattle kraken um as, as the potential possibility there as well so uh, i mean least nation you guys never let you know never let us down um with 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 these great possibilities but yeah i mean thoughts on on the possibility of a guy like taylor hall also coming into toronto uh, i see i did it's interesting that they obviously they're rumored in obviously to sign him i i think i still think that toronto doesn't need that offensive awareness or that also offensive minded player like taylor hall they need and I'm going to say this at the deadline, they need that Nick Foligno type. Every, I know I'm probably going to get a lot of hate for this because, oh, Toronto didn't score. Yeah, they ran into a really hot goaltender in Carey Price. But with the way that Nick Foligno played before his injury, the injuries hit, he was looking like that guy that they would have expected a lot out of him to be a major point producer. I don't see they could go after Hall, but I think – uh, again, I, I'm just going to go back to Bertuzzi. I think he is the kind of player that they need. I think they need that Connor Garland. They need that guy with a little bit of finesse and a little bit of an edge. Because the Maple Leafs are going to lose Zach Hyman. I don't see that edge from Taylor Hall that Hyman possesses. I think Bertuzzi can be that replacement option. Um I'm writing something about why this is a really good fit and how he could be a really good replacement. And the comparison to Bertuzzi with his 5, 5e5 point production and Hyman, I'm not going to get into the specifics, but they're very, very much the same in terms of production. And Bertuzzi is younger, and he's already at that pace that Hyman is already at. So I'm thinking if you were able to get Bertuzzi and sign him, you're going to have more years of productivity with him than you possibly can have with Hyman. And also he's got that in your face attitude, the grit, the physicality that I mentioned that would be beneficial in a playoff series. I didn't see that quite much with Taylor Hall when they called upon him. I mean, he scored some key goals, but Nothing that stood out, like nothing like a Bertuzzi can try and do like what Josh Anderson did. And I know they're going to point to his production, but he scored key goals. Um, Even Paul Byron at times, Blake Coleman. Those are the kind of players that Toronto should be addressing. Yeah, and I think, too, Josh Anderson did things away from the puck that that made him invaluable as well. So, yeah. Um, you know, we, we kind of laugh at his production and the Pat Maroon chirp, um, you know, I believe it was in game, uh, game three, but, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, what he did away from the puck also got helped get Montreal to where they were in that playoffs as well. But I mean, I do agree. I think, I, I think a guy like Coleman or sorry, a guy like Bertuzzi comes with less injury history as well. Um, when when you're talking about replacing Hyman, so I mean that's a benefit as well. Um, you know, you mentioned he's younger. You mentioned his production. Um, 
I think the potential for the Leafs is there. And that's why I think a guy like Dermott could be a possible candidate for being traded as well in one of these one of these deals. Um, you know, we heard it from from the Leafs, uh, the Leafs staff expect there to be a big move. Um, and I think that's what we're all waiting on. And that's why there's so much speculation surrounding the team right now. I have a question for you. Darren Drager mentioned earlier that, or not mentioned, he suggested that the Edmonton Oilers try and trade for Zach Hyman and acquire his rights to try and sign him early. Do you see that happening, especially right now, if there's a deal in place with the Detroit Red Wings? Because I'm I'm under the impression that why would you trade somebody when you could have the rights to sign them? It doesn't make sense for one team, but it does make sense for the other where you're gaining assets in return. I don't see Steve Eiserman doing that, but it is an interesting possibility that he did mention. Yeah, I mean... I, I'm kind of with you on that. I don't. I don't see Irisman doing that. Um, yeah, I mean that's a that's a great question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I I don't really have the answer to that, Peter. I don't really I, have the answer to that. Because I because it, it crossed my mind where it's now like you're trading, especially with the Maple Leaf situation, you're trading for rights for one player for rights for another, and it was rumored by Elliot Freeman that the Detroit Red Wings are on are in on Zach Hyman to try and sign him along with a, a, a number of other teams. Honestly, I if I'm under the impression that they are looking for that trade and sign kind of deal, if they go for Detroit, you have more options for a good return than you do with Edmonton. Now, I'm again, I'm not saying that Steve Eiserman would do that because, you know, he is a smart guy. I don't think he would give up some of his assets. But if he is giving up Bertuzzi, and if he is getting Zach Hyman and maybe Travis Dermott is being involved in that deal and maybe a mid-round pick, I know the Maple Leafs are bearing that, but maybe in 2023 if that happens, if they even give up their second-round pick this year, who knows? Um, it, 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 it's something that crossed my mind because we see we saw what the uh, Vegas Golden Knights did. Traded for a Mark Stone, got him, and then they signed him to a contract. This is kind of like the same situation where I, I'm pretty sure that Stone was going to be a UFA. Ottawa traded him, got something in return, and it worked out for Vegas. They signed him to a deal that they wanted. I think this is something that could work out for both teams. Then again, Detroit has just over $48 million in cap space. So if they wanted to, they could hang on to Bertuzzi for all we know and give him a deal that's in that $4.5 million range. Yeah, no, I think I, I think Eiserman's very smart in what he's doing. I mean, we obviously saw what he did with Tampa Bay and building building that that franchise mm-hmm. up as well. So, um, uh, I think he's going to do what's best for the team. Obviously, you know, keeping Bertuzzi would be helpful, but it, the team's already traded Mantha. So what that 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 tells me is that that team's looking to basically start from scratch, get to where they need to be and find players that want to be a part of that rebuild. And I think right now Larkin's your your leader obviously. Yeah. Um do you, do you kind of ship out Bertuzzi as well and and start from scratch? I think that's kind of where they're leaning and that's why there's a lot of speculation surrounding Bertuzzi right now. Is 
basically he's wiping the slate clean. He's going to start from from you know start from scratch. He's going to obviously have to work from the net out as well. Um, obviously, we saw how how great Thomas uh, Thomas Grice did uh, this season and uh, his numbers. But um, yeah, I mean it's definitely an interesting situation, and I'd be willing to think that Eiserman's thinking is that this is a full blown rebuild. Yeah. Three reasons why I think they move on from Bertuzzi. One, we saw the production from Jakob Verano this year. Um, how he came in and just totally dominated with eight goals at 11 and 11 points in 11 games after that Mantha deal. Two, well, before I get to two and three, I'm just going to say if he if they use that sixth overall pick this year to draft Jesper Wallstadt, there's your starting goaltender for the future. Yeah. yeah there's absolutely. your there's your Andre Vasilevsky cornerstone franchise altering goaltender right there. Two, my, my two and three are reasons why you're moving on from Tyler Bertuzzi. One, Mr. Lucas Raymond and Jonathan Bergeron. Raymond, left wing, right wing, dual position player, just absolutely... A dynamic playmaker, great speed and awareness. And Jonathan Bergeron, who this year alone, 45 points in 49 games with Skeleftea. And 33 assists in that regard. Granted, Bertuzzi's more of that, you know, net front drive presence, greasy goal kind of player. But there's a dual winger player right there and a center wing player right there. So you also have to try and take that into consideration. Who's going to be on the first line? Who's going to be on the second line? Are both Raymond and Bergeron first line talents? It's very possible. But you're going to have to make that decision considering the fact that A, Vrana was really damn good. And you got two really promising prospects in Bergeron and Raymond coming up. Yeah, no, I, and that's what I mean. I think I think it's it's starting to look like a full rebuild in Detroit. That's exactly what they need. Um, and it's gonna be it's it's gonna be Eiserman's team. And I don't think Bertuzzi was part of what Eiserman envisioned, and maybe that's why we're looking at uh, you know a possible Bertuzzi move. Um, but we've always said it: where there's smoke, there's fire. There's yes. so much speculation right now around Bertuzzi that. I'd be I really really I'd be shocked if he wasn't moved at some point this offseason. Definitely. And just even looking at his underlying numbers, it may not be that great, but I mean for the last two, three seasons, the Detroit Red Wings have been, you know, at the bottom of the barrel in the standings. So if he moves on to a contending team like the Maple Leafs, I have no doubt that, you know, the play's gonna pick up. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely, and and he's going to have a great opportunity there, and I think that's that's key as well for him. Uh, fresh start, um, get out of that losing culture in Detroit right now, um, and, and have an opportunity to really succeed at the NHL level. So, um, yeah, I, I again, lots of speculation, lots of of rumors. The rumor mill is going in Toronto. Um, obviously, the expansion draft is coming up. Obviously, the draft is coming up. Leafs with a second round pick. Who knows if they find their way back into the first round? Dubis has always found ways to work magic. 
Um, but hey, if you want to check out some wholesome content, check out uh, Joe Thornton and Austin Matthews at UFC 264. Um, the two of oh, them are there together. He's out hanging, with Bieber? Hang out with the Biebs again. Oh, he is hanging out with the Biebs. Oh, okay. I thought I was about to say he's not with them. Hanging out with the Biebs. So you got <laughs> you got the Biebs. You've got Matthews and you got Big Joe, Big Jumbo Joe, hanging out with the Biebs. Uh, some great wholesome content, a great photo. It looks like a father and son sitting there at UFC 264. So <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely a great moment if you're a, a fan of Jumbo. I was about to say, when you said Joe Thornton is there with Austin Matthews, I'm like, wait, no Bieber this time? Oh, it's one of those father-son bonding trips. <laughs> Gotta love those, you know? Gotta love those, absolutely. Um, before we close it out here, Peter, anything else you really wanted to talk about this week? Um, no. And I, I, I say that, I don't know why I said that very, like, you know, convincingly. No, I don't, but... Um, <laughs> No, uh, just getting ready, getting prepped for the draft. Um, we finished our two-round mock. Uh, I was able to make some really good picks. I think I made some really good picks for both Dallas – well, not both, but Dallas Islanders, Colorado – no, I don't even remember the teams. Dallas, Minnesota, Colorado, and the Leafs. And I think – I loved – I think I – considering that one of my top choices were gone early, I liked my selection for the Maple Leafs. So if you're wondering who I picked, go out and check it out. Yeah, folks, as always, uh, we, we want to thank the Hockey Raiders for giving us an opportunity to really share our voices and let you guys hear what we have to say. Um, you know, I, I mentioned to Peter before we hit the recording uh, record button – we just officially hit 2,000 downloads um, before we hit the 50 episode mark. Doesn't seem like a lot, but for us two guys who just decided to to start up a show in the midst of a, a crazy worldwide pandemic, um, you know, we we just want to thank all of you guys for for tuning in and and really giving us the opportunity to share our thoughts on on some of NHL's biggest stories, some of hockey's biggest stories. Um, it, it's been fun. We're going to continue to to provide you with some of the best entertainment in hockey. Um, we're not as great as Kucherov, but uh, you know we're, we're doing what we can. <laughs> we're uh, going to try and you know maybe you know do some you know beer chugs and hopefully get a sponsorship from Bud Light. Maybe absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Well, let's go. Let's go Molson Canadian. We'll see what we can do. Maybe maybe hey. uh, maybe clean up our act a little bit, but. Um, I, I did mention last week that we, we do have some exciting news. Um, I am going to push that another week. I'm hoping to get things up and rolling so that I can deliver it the same day that we, we, we get it, uh, you know, kind of rolled out. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I did, you know, Peter, it, it is very exciting news. Um, so I, I urge you to continue tuning in and, yes. um, Again, thank you all for tuning in. 2,000 downloads. We can't thank you enough. 47 episodes. We're coming up on a year of doing this, and you guys continue to impress us by by tuning in. So with that, head on over to the Hockey Writers. Check out our stuff. Peter's doing some great work covering the draft, covering prospects, covering the Maple Leafs. Uh, I'm kind. I kind of head in there every once in a while as well and do my thing. But um, as always. 
Thank you for tuning in to episode 47 of the podcast. You can check out Peter on Twitter at P Barracchini. You can look at myself at Andrew G Forbes or the podcast at sticks in the six pod S T I X I N T H E six I X P O D. Let's get us to that century mark. Uh, mm-hmm. Head on over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you can listen to your podcast, including this new thing called, um, what I say, bullhorn. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know what the hell that is, but uh, <laughs> if, I mean, hey, if you're listening to our podcast on bullhorn, have fun, enjoy, download, um, and be sure to listen to our latest episodes. You can check us out on YouTube as well. We're, we're trying to get some more videos up there. I believe we have one with uh, our, our interview with Caleb Dahlgren coming up as well. So that's a great, uh, great interview to check out on YouTube. Make sure you mm-hmm. subscribe there as well rate review wherever you can and we will continue bringing as much content as we can moving forward have a good one